Good morning, ladies. Here we are together again. We have three more weeks. We have this week, and then next week, uh, Jessica will be teaching us on Emmanuel and the all seeing God, God's all seeing. And then the final week, we'll be here and we're going to do our normal brunch thing. So everybody's going to be food and we're going to celebrate all that we've learned. And it's going to be a great day. And I'll be teaching that last time. Yes, it'll be the traditional brunch where we'll have the food all laid out. We really haven't talked about this during our meeting this week, but I'm assuming we'll just have a regular traditional brunch. Everybody bring and share. And those that like to cook, come and cook. And those that don't, there's always plenty of food. So and we'll put the, more of the details together. You'll hear more about it next week. But two weeks from today, we're going to have our final one. And um, we're going to talk about Jesus is Lord on our last week. So it should be really good. We're excited about it. We love how this whole season has kind of progressed. It's just been so fun. And um, you know how I have loved studying this. There's just so much to, to, to learn. And I just love the learning part and getting to share it with you guys. So I'm so excited about it. Today we're going to talk about God is good. And I think it's one of those Yes, he is good. So what do we say about that? Uh, as I looked at that, I thought, oh, yes, this will be fun. And then I thought, oh, what am I going to say? So um, but let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I just praise your name for bringing us all together again, again this week. I thank you for what I know you will do in all of our hearts as we turn to you, Lord, and just hear what it is that you want to say to us. I pray, Father, that your spirit moves mightily through this whole room, through all of us, as we learn and as we teach and as we look to you and just try to understand your goodness in a, in a, a, a little bit um, better way. We just want to come here, Lord, and um, open up our hearts to you. Let you know how much we love you and I uh, just want to praise your name. We just want your name to be glorified today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, as I was thinking about this word good, um, I, uh, I, I, it came to me, and this is a little off topic here, but it came to me that um, there are, I have this little philosophy, that there are two sets of people out that God has created. And um, this is just my own unscientific survey that I've taken as I've gone through life. There's the first type of person is that type of person that just wants to be good, that just wants to follow all the rules and, and those of an authority and just out there to please um, your parents and those in authority and that person that just wants to be good. And then there's this other group of people that just like to see how far they can go and test the waters and how far they can just get, not, not evil, I'm not saying evil at all, but just to see how much they can get away with. And so I thought to test my, my theory and my philosophy here, I just want to take a little poll, since polls are such a big thing these days, and I just want you to be completely honest in this room, and I want all of you that the side on the type of person that just wants to be good to raise your hand. Those that are the pleasers. Those are just, your goal in life is to be good. Okay, all right. Let's see. Okay, some of you are lying. <laughs> because I know you. Okay, the, the 
the other side, okay, those of you that just like to see how far you can go to test the waters, oh, a few brave souls, yes, and Megan, I think your hand should be up. I was even thinking of our leadership, I was thinking, okay, now, me and Rachel will be here, we'll be at the good side, and then over here on the other far side would be Megan and Jessica. And then in the middle, I had no idea where to put Jill because I kind of think she's, you know, she kind of can go. She's got this sweet demeanor that you think she's just going to be all good, but I think she's just. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, it's just, the reason I, I think of that is because when I was growing up, I remember all I wanted to do was be good. I just wanted to be good. And I wanted like to please my parents, and I wanted to be this person that my parents would be proud of, and all this kind of thing. So when I got to be a parent, I thought that my children would think the same way. <laughs> I thought that they would say, oh yeah, I just want to please mom, I just want to, and you know, it wasn't long when I figured out real quickly that they were um, just, you know, they were constantly testing me, especially in those teenage years. So I just think it was just throw that all out the window because we all are sinners, we know that. Um, but it's just interesting how we just sometimes have this bend to what we, what we want. And I don't know why I thought of that, but since I was looking at the word good for so, so much this week, it kind of came to mind. <clears throat> well, um, I have um, been looking at this idea of God is good, and I have this good, good friend that should be teaching this lesson today because she loves to think about how good God is. And she constantly reminds us of, of how to be thankful for all that God has blessed us with. And I just love that about her. In fact, I put her a verse, that she has a life verse that she has at the top of, of the note and it says this, and it's a beautiful verse. It says, it's in Zephaniah, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will cause great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And she also often thinks of God just dancing over her and singing over her. And she just feels this goodness of God all the time in her life. And then she's so abundantly thankful for it. She's always telling us to be thankful of all the little things. And I love that about her. So just to start today, I want you to think for a minute, where is God's goodness evident in your life? Or where do you see God's goodness in your life? And just talk about it around your tables for a few minutes. That's your first question. Well, you guys jumped right on that one. <laughs> you have lots to say about God's goodness. It's obvious. This is a subject that we, that we uh, know a lot about. I think as I um, looked at this question uh, over the last few weeks, it came to me that a lot of what I think of as uh, or a lot of the times what I think of as what I have made for myself, or I have, all my blessings are a lot of what I have done. I, I have that, um, that sense that, that some of the things that God has, uh, that I, that God has done really is because of my abilities and things like that. And I think that's such a wrong way to look at it because all of, uh, everything that we have that's good is from God, every single thing. And, we, and, and it's not anything to do with what we have uh, done on our own. Um, I've decided that I've divided this lesson into a couple parts. One will talk a lot about the majority about God's goodness, but at the very end, we're going to touch on this idea of God is so good and so powerful. 
then why do we have to suffer and why do we have pain and, and struggles? So we'll t touch on that in a, in a lighter form at the end because I just think that question just comes up when we talk about this good, good God that we have and why do we have to have these struggles? So first we're going to look at God's goodness and you cannot open up your Bible or read scripture without seeing God's goodness in it on every single page, can you? You just look at it. If you look through, through the Psalms or anywhere, you just see how he, what he's done for his people and how he loves us and his goodness. He first talks about it. Oh, I wanted to do something first. I wanted to, um, a couple weeks ago, Jessica wrote on this on the whiteboard what it was to be righteous. What comes into your mind when you think of righteousness? Um, this week, I want you to come give me some words that come into your mind when you think of God's goodness. Because I struggled with just putting this in a couple words or a phrase. Can you guys help me out today and say, what do you think if there's no right or wrong answer? But when you think of God's goodness, is there any words that come to mind? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I heard justice back there. Uh, Salvation. Save. Grace. Grace. Patience. Love. Patience. I always take a, the chance here because my spelling isn't always the best. Love. Wow. Huh. Looking at all those words. God is so good, isn't he? Wow, that is awesome. Great. Well, God first describes his goodness in Exodus. We keep going back to Exodus. So we want to open up your Bible to Exodus 33. But he first describes himself as being good. Um, and I keep finding myself back in Exodus again. I don't know what it is about this, this book. But... Um, it happens when, when uh, Moses is, is again, um, having this conversation with God, which is hard to even understand how he just had this open dialogue with God. But he says to, uh, to, to God, in, uh, in verse 19 of chapter 33, I think, or 18. Yeah, chapter 33, verse 18. And this is right after God has promised him that he's going to be right with him all the way through when he goes into the promised land. And then Moses has this request of him, of God. And he says in verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. What an interesting question. Have you ever just said, God, show me your glory? And this is what um, his response was. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And he's talking there about, he, he's equating his glory with his goodness. He's going to show all of his goodness pass in front of him. And so he says, but you, can't, you cannot see me face to face, because if you do that, you will surely die. But he, he, so he tells him that to go up and get in, in, up on the mountain, and there's going to be a little hole in the rock, and 
Moses will stand in that hole in the cleft of the rock, it says, and as God passes by, he will be able to see his back. Not his physical back, but the glory passing by in front of him. And he says, this is all of his goodness. And then he describes it. So turn to chapter 34. I mean, just look over in 34. And look at verse 6. And this is what he says as he passes by. This is how God describes his goodness. And he says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He goes on there, and he talks about, this is how he shows his goodness to us. Um, and then I was looking, and I wrote down a couple other definitions of his goodness by those wise people that we've been studying. Um, the first one was J.I. Packard. And he describes God's goodness this way. This is what he says. He says, all those moral qualities that we think of as his perfection, and whenever we see perfection, it's more of his, his um, completeness, um, his generosity that moves him to be merciful and full of grace. It's some of the words that we pulled up there. His abundant love, another word that you pulled up. God's truthfulness and trustworthiness. Um, his unfailing justice and wisdom. His tenderness, his forbearance and entire adequacy at all who penitently seek his help. He goes on, he says, his noble kindness in offering believers the exalted destiny of fellowship with him in holiness and love. These things all together, all of these things, make up God's goodness. So as we, we look at this, it's not just bits and pieces as we've been studying about his attributes. It's all of it pulled together, all of it in infinite quality, all of that together makes him good. I just thought that was beautiful. Tozer says it again. He says that this is uh, what he says. That which disposes or that which causes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward people. Tender-hearted quick sympathy. This attitude towards mankind is open. He's open to us. He's frank and he's friendly. By nature he is inclined to bestow blessedness. And I love this verse here. He takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. And I thought that was really good. Another one that I looked into was Chip Ingram. What did he say about, his, about God's goodness? And he says he's abundant in goodness and truth. He has a quality of generosity he has this, this disposition to give without any motive, and God just wants to make you happy. This infinite idea of his goodness. God is good because there is something in God that he wants to bless us. So all these ideas together are what create, what are just explanations or definitions or whatever, however you want to look at it, of God's goodness to his people, all of us. But I thought it would be... Um, good to just get really practical today and see how do we experience that goodness? How do we as his, his beloved children um, experience God's goodness? It says, um, and the first way that we see it is through, through nature. Um, his, um, it, when he created the earth, if you will recall, what was the one word that he created? Everything that he created and it was... Yes, it was good. It was good. Everything that he's created, he couldn't help but flow out from himself. All that was good. And he's got it all around us in abundance. 
And then at the very end, he says in Genesis 1:31, uh, he says, and it was very good. So this idea that creation all around us is good because it's a reflection of the creator and we get to be the recipients of all that goodness around us and we get to enjoy it and experience God's lavishness um, and beauty that constantly surrounds us. I love that verse. One of my favorites is, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day they pour forth truth. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no language or voice where his voice is not heard. His voice goes out into all the world, his words to the ends of the earth. And those that just to me speaks that wherever we look, we just see God's glory and his goodness coming down to us. Um, one of the things that I have um, discovered about myself is that if I'm ever in a funk or if I'm upset about something or if someone has caused me to be irritated or I'm just, you know, just struggling with something or have a hard, hard question I don't know how to answer, all I need to do is go outside and walk around in nature. I just go for a walk and see the beauty around us and just I feel the uh, air. And I know right now with the spring as it's budding and blooming and the smells and the aromas are just so amazing, you can see this is God's blessing to us to, to enjoy. One of my favorite things is to sit out on my deck and watch um, the birds. And, um, I, the deck is kind of up in the trees right there, so it's kind of like in, in the trees. And so they're just so busy, and I just love to sit and watch them. I think I've shared that with you before. And this friend that I have that always loves to remind me about being thankful and grateful and how good God is, we have this competition every year to decide who gets to see the first hummingbird. And, um, and she, she seems to always win. I have, my hummingbird feeder is down about half full, but I have yet to see a hummingbird. But I started looking into this, this little tiny bird, and I was learning that the, this, the wings of that bird in a second, they flutter 53 times in a second. 53 little flutters at the, at the average, the ones that are around here. There are some that go up to 800 times they flutter in a second. This little tiny bird can fly, comes all the way from the Gulf, or down in the southern Mexico or the Panamas, flies all the way every single year, all the way up to as far north as Canada. They, a lot of them settle around here. But they cross over the Gulf 500 miles without stopping. And uh, I just think it's just amazing to think about this little tiny bird. It loses half of its weight as it flies over the Gulf. And um, it just flitters up to wherever it is. Not only that, but that bird goes back to the same place where it was hatched every year. And a lot of times they found it, it's hard to ban them because they're so small, they can't put little GPSs in them, that they, that they, um, that they found that they go back to the same places even every year. It's just so fascinating to know the details of, of just this little tiny bird. And God does that in everything. He has an exorbitant number of birds that he has created for us to enjoy, an exorbitant number of flowers and smells and trees. He did not have to do that. But we get to enjoy all of that. We get to see his glory in all of nature. We, we get to see the sky turn from a bright, brilliant blue to purple, yellow, orange, radiant, scarlet, whatever, as it sets in the sun at night and when it rises in the morning. Why does God do that? Why does he have such infinite goodness to show us this beauty all around us? I just think that that is just amazing to me, um, to see his goodness that way. I want you to talk around your tables for a minute. Where is your favorite place to go in nature? 
I love to, to especially walk the mountains or sit by the ocean or there's just so many places. But even sitting on my deck is one of my favorite places. So where do you like to go to enjoy God's nature and describe it for your table in infinite detail? <laughs> God is such a good, good God, isn't it? And he just lavishes it out on us. He just lavishes us with his goodness. But this is a question I have for you. That sometimes um, we think that, um, that there's only a limited supply of his goodness. That, 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 that there's not more from where that came from. Just want you to think about this for a minute. Um, um, think of how God has created nature and the abundance of the, the generosity of what he has created in nature. But yet sometimes we hold on to our, our stuff so tightly because we're afraid God isn't going to give us more of that stuff. We, 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 we can see it in nature and his abundance and his, his over-the-top beauty of it. But then when it comes to our stuff, we're so afraid to let go of any of it because then God maybe won't give us any more of that. I think that's just an interesting thing to think about. I'm going to read to you uh, Matthew, and you don't have to check it, look at this, because I'm just going to read out of Matthew 6. And it says here, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? That's so true. We see it all around us, this abundance. And we can talk about it and we know it. But when it comes to our stuff and our things, we want to hold on to it so tightly because we think that God has only a limited amount, only a limited supply. But we've already learned that God's supply is limitless. It's over-the-top abundance. And wouldn't he want to do that for his, his children? Um, it says in, and I put these verses in here for you to look at, um, Psalm 145.9, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. So I just have a personal question for you to think about. Um, how much time do you spend inside looking at all these man-made things? And your little man-made phone and your little man-made TV. Compare that to how much time do you spend relishing what God has created for us in his abundant beauty and in nature? Just a thought for you to take home a little bit and think about that. Um, just to spend more time looking at the birds and the leaves and the butterflies and the birds and the flowers. And just, it's so good for our soul to do that. The second way that we see God's um, goodness is through specific deliverance. And he delivers us from signs of trouble. Um, I want you to open up your Bibles to um, Psalm 107. We're going to look at this psalm a little bit more in depth than we did that last verse. So turn to Psalms right in the middle of your Bible.
And this is what it says in the very first verse of Psalm 107. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. So give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And this psalm is divided into four different types of deliverance, four different times when people have called out to the Lord and delivered them. And we're going to look at them individually. The first one starts in verse 4. And it says, Some wandered in the desert wasteland, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And so this first situation is just when you find yourself in some kind of an impossible situation, when you find yourself in a really, really hard place, and here it says, they call, cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he satisfied and he filled them with good things. The second um, scene that we're seeing here um, starts in verse 10. And it says here, some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor, and they stumbled, and there was no, no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them for the, from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their change. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men, for he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through irons of bars. Oh, these are, uh, this is where we're seeing God, where he, um, when you find yourself in a really dark place. And he says here, because they have um, rebelled against the words of God. Um, and... Um, but I think a lot of times we find ourselves in a dark place when we haven't necessarily always broken away, um, broken away from God, or rebelled against God, I should say. Um, and in those times, we need to cry out to the Lord as well. But so when, if, when you find yourself in a really dark, dark, hard place, and I, I loved at the end when it says, he breaks down the gates of bronze and cuts through iron, bars of iron. I just think of those people that we love that are lost and in a dark place and rebelled against God. But it says that God can break through those bars of iron and the, the bronze, those really hard um, barriers. God can break through those things. I want you to just talk around your table for a minute about if you have ever found yourself in a dark place, not necessarily because you rebelled against God, but have you ever found yourself in a really dark place where God had, and you've cried out to God and he's answered you? Or maybe you didn't cry out, but you just found yourself in a dark place. Just talk around your table about that for a little bit. It's interesting when I ask you to talk about God's goodness. Boy, the room was alive. And then we talk about the darkness and the gloom. And it's quiet in here. <laughs> Some of your tables got quieter faster than other tables, so I'm not going to give you as much time because this is, those of you that have experienced the darkness and the dark, being in a dark place, you know how hard that is to be. That's such a hard place when you can't see your hand in front of your face and you don't know what's in front of you. You don't know what to even expect where you are. It's so, so hard. But I want to tell you this. I saw this. I think this is really beautiful. It said that that when um, it, it said it's often in our darkest hour that God does His best work, 
And they gave three examples of when this happened. The first example was when God created the heavens and the earth. Remember the dark was over all the earth? In his darkest hour, he created all of this. The second example they gave, which I thought was really good, was in the womb of Mary, when he placed the incarnate Jesus inside her womb. Nobody saw that. It was in the darkest place that he um, did his mightiest work. It's amazing. The third one is even more majestic, I think. It's in the tomb where Jesus was buried. He rose him from the dead. Now, and the reason I think that's the most majestic is because he could have risen him right there on the cross. He could have died and take him down and all of a sudden, poof, he could have come out back to life. But he didn't. He did it in the dark, in the dark of the night when no one could actually physically see it. He did his mightiest deed of all. And I just think that's so encouraging when you're in your darkest place to know that we can cry out to God and he will save us from that place to trust him with wherever we are in that dark, dark, dark place. So we sometimes don't think of God as good necessarily in our dark place, but, it's, it's, but he is good. He is doing his, continuing to do his good work through you in that dark place. The third scene is um, starts in verse 17. And I want those of you that were in group number two to listen up right here. <laughs> that we talked about earlier. Um, okay. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. <laughs> they loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. So sometimes those, of us, those that are just being rebellious and then God can save us from our times of distress. It's the third scene that we see here. I was um, helping out with the baptisms a couple weeks ago and um, I, they had, I had my husband and I, Chris, were together and so if anybody at the last minute decided they wanted to be baptized, they would come to this table and we would be able to talk to them and talk to them and sit down with them for a little bit and see where they were with their faith, if they really were truly ready to be baptized. And I had this neat young guy, uh, young man, who's 21, who can't come up, came up and said, yeah, I want to be baptized. It's time. I need to be baptized. I've known Jesus my whole life, but uh, I, I, it's time. And so I asked him a little bit about his story, and he told me he was at a skate park, and he, he, he said he lived, you know, he had a very Christian family that loved him and been praying for him his whole life, and, um, but yet he had still just been this rebellious kid. And uh, he said he was at a skate park one day, and he was doing his thing and doing this, riding his skateboard, and flew off of a 10-foot, uh, I don't know exactly where it was, but he said it was a, a fall of 10 feet, and he was heading down face first. And he said he called out to God, cried out to God. He said he literally felt God grabbing his ankles and holding him. And then he, he did fall and he crumbled and he said he, he had some minor injuries. But he said he knows without a doubt, had he not cried out to God, that God rescued him from either paralyzation or death. He said he knows it for a fact. And um, I just thought it was a beautiful story of one that cried out to God and God rescued him. And uh, he wanted to be baptized. He wanted to show his love for Jesus and what he had done for him. I just thought that was a really, really cool story to be able, a privilege to get to hear that. Um, so sometimes when we're kind of going the wrong way, God can get our attention and we can cry out to him. And he is there and he's faithful and he's our good, good father. Um, the fourth scene starts in verse, verse 23. And it says there, here, 
Others went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters. They, say that they saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens, and then they went down into the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and they staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So these, this is a group of people that did nothing wrong. They just found themselves in a really hard place. Followers, they were uh, believers, and then they found themselves in an impossible situation that was really, um, they were in desperate straits, and they cried out to the Lord, and God rescued him from him and shows his, how good he is. Sometimes God will deliver us from calamity um, even when we aren't even aware of our, of, of, that we're even in danger. Um, two weeks ago, it was a beautiful Monday. It was 80 degrees. I don't know if you remember 80 degrees Monday, but I was out. It was beautiful. And I had ridden my bike that day, put the bike rack on the car, and it was a great day. And then that night, I was in the middle of prayer time here at the church, and so I, I put it off because it was so beautiful, I was outside. And, um, but I uh, put up, kind of preparing for it, and so then I, I got, got myself settled down and started reading and saying, what did I want to leave the prayer time here at church for that Monday night? And as it normally happens, I got short on time, and so I was rustling around trying to get over here to the church, not knowing what the traffic on the bridge would be. And so, um, but I, um, I grabbed my Bible, and I grabbed my prayer journal, and I grabbed my water, and for some reason I grabbed a little pack of gum, um, for whatever reason, I don't know. And um, so then I am rustling around, I'm hurrying out, and I jumped in my car, I put all my stuff down, and that little pack of gum fell down between the council, between my seat and the council on my car. And I, you know, just frustrated, and I'm kind of grumbling, and I'm reaching down, and I can't get it. I don't even know why it was so important for me to get this piece of gum, but I'm trying to get it. And normally, you know, I would just, you know, get it when I get, you know, ended up where I was. But no, I, and then I reach around the front of the, the chair, reaching in there, work, I can't find it, I can't get it. Oh, boy. So I get out of my car, and I go around to the back of my car, because I was going to open up the other side so I can find it. And there, right behind my car, sleeping in the nice, cool concrete with my dog. <laughs> Sammy, right behind the car, right behind the right rear tire, you know, right back there. And uh, because I had my um, bike rack on, the, the, rear, the, the thing always makes a lot of noise when I back up anyway. I've got those, those rear view uh, cameras. Here's my dog, Sammy. Sammy was Tad's dog, so we've adopted Tad's dog. So it's just this precious dog. I didn't even have the heart to tell my husband about this, this, but I just saw it so clearly. And I think because I've been in the Word, I've been praying, and then here I walked around the back, which I don't normally do, it's faster to go around the front. I saw my dog just laying there, and she's 13, she doesn't hear. It's just like I just think, the devastation that was that God saved me from. And I, I just like, oh, thank you. He's a good, good guy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I did finally tell Chris 
just kind of said, oh, Chris, you won't believe what I, oh, I, I hated doing it, but I did tell him. Anyway, how about you? Do you have any times when you can think of, I know this is hard to grab these ideas out of the mind, but can you think of any times that you were rescued um, by God, that he kept you from danger or helped you out? And if so, share around your table if you can think of something. And then keep those ideas in your mind. We're going to write some of them down on the board. What are some of the things you, some of your thoughts? What do you think? How would this world look? I heard one come out earlier. I don't know if I heard it right, but I thought it was good, if, even if I heard it wrong. Boring. I think I heard that. I don't know if I'm spelling right or not. What did you say? Ungrateful. Joyless. What else? What does utopia look like? This is utopia, you guys. Come on. This is... Yeah, joyless. Self-sufficiency. Self-reliance. Self-reliance, yeah. What? No compassion. And I'll get back to you. What did you say over here? Was it Linda? Arrogant? We think we want no problems. This does not look like a great place to be. Where else? What else? Anything else? Entitlement. Entitlement. I um, got that. Except for I, just, I don't think I spelled that right. <laughs> I'm grateful to agree I'm showing my ignorance here. No free choice. Yeah. When you really stop and think about it, what a, what a terrible place to be. I think, I think we would be alone. I don't think there would be room for anybody else in my perfect world. <laughs> it would be perfect. We'd have to be all alone. We'd each have to have our own little world. 
think there'd be no character development. There would be no, um, uh, and I think we said no choices. The, uh, what makes us human is the fact that we have moral choices to be better than the other person. That's what makes us human. That makes us different than dogs or than cattle. We as humans have this moral side to ourselves to be able to make a choice. And it makes us to be able to be, um, um, to develop our character. So this is what the truth is. And I know this is pretty lighthearted and that's just such a big topic, but these are just things to think about. Um, this is what the truth is. That many things that happen in this world are awful. They're terrible. Um, if you look at them just in the realm of your own suffering, it's in your own world, they're tragedies. And just accept them as tragedies. They happen. They are part of this world. Um, but God is with you in that suffering. He is there with you in the suffering, no matter what it is. And this second one I should have put first, because <laughs> it's the reason for it. But I had a second. God isn't the cause behind these things. He allows it, but he isn't the cause behind all of this. God does not do evil. Um, God is against it. Suffering comes about because there is an enemy that wants us to doubt God. There's an enemy that wants us to turn away from God and he'll do whatever he can to get us to turn away from God. So the most important thing to do when you're suffering is turn to God, not away from him. So many people say, why would God allow this? And they walk away. When they're walking away from the most precious source of, of, of truth that they can, they can have, the most precious presence of the Lord to help them through that hard, hard time they're having. So... Um, Trust God through your suffering. The third point, to have a world where pain and suffering are possible gives us as humans the greatest opportunity to develop into people of incredible character and become holy instruments for God to use. It's true that in our suffering we are allowed to see God like we never would have had we not gone through that experience. That God is there with us. And it depends on how we... Um, uh, deal with the suffering that we have. It's the, the best opportunity for us to develop our character and um, it's also the time that you'll feel the closest to the Lord when, when you have those times. It's a precious time. You won't see it at the time but as you look back on it, it's the most precious time if you're turning to God because He is there and He will be so close to you. You will not uh, you'll never forget. It will deepen your faith in ways that, that having a, a cushy life never will. And the fourth point is to remember that the battle is not over yet and God is going to win. The song verse that we hear that the earth has no sorrow, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal, that song is so true. Um, God will redeem every aspect of the trouble that you are going through right now. I remember so clearly when my son was ill and he was in bed. He had been in bed for 14 months with cancer and we were his caretakers, and he had laid in that bed, and laid in that bed, he couldn't do anything for himself, and he was struggling, and it was just such a hard, hard time for him. And, and just, you could just, it was just agony every single day. And I remember one day when Patty walked into that room, and she came and visited Tad every once in a while, and she walked into that room, and she said to Tad, something to the effect, I had to write it down, um, so they didn't say it, but something to the fact that we don't know why God has allowed so much suffering, but he will repay you for all that you are going through right now in this world. God will repay you. 
I, and she believed it with all her heart. I believe it with all my heart. God repays for all the suffering we have in our heart, that we have on this earth. I don't know how he does it. But remember, we learned already that God is a just God. If he's going to allow us to go through suffering, there's going to be another side to it where he will repay us for that suffering that we go through here on this earth. I, put, I think I put it in your note, that Joel verse, Joel 2, 24 through 26. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. It's that idea that he's going to repay us. He's a just God for what we struggle, for our struggles. And that, in alone, it gives us so much um, hope. Got a quote, a quote in here I thought was good um, that Dallas Willard says, and it reads like this. If all the individual has is this life, then clearly evil, pain, and frustration are not redeemed, but seen in the context of God's world as a whole, seen as but a part of a life that never ends and endlessly becomes more and more glorious. There is no evil individuals may suffer that can prevent them from finding life to be good and God to be good. There is no tragedy for those who rely on this God. And I just loved that, um, that quote from him. He's a wise, wise man. Um, one of the things that I have loved about teaching um, is that I get to, I think the whole definition of teaching is just taking what God's given to you and, and get to share it with other people. And God's been doing a work in my heart um, right now. And I, I know as I... As I stand up here, I'm always so humbled to be your teacher. I know some of you know so much more than I will ever know, and you so much more obedient than I will ever be. But for some reason, he's just called me to do this right now. And he's working in my heart right now. Um, and I wanted to read to you from a book that I was looking at. So you just have to indulge me here for a couple minutes. Um, and this is a story of a, of a of, uh, this man. His name is uh, Nick Ripton, who... Um, has gone into these really, really, really hard places um, that are under persecution, where people just don't even want to go. And he's interviewed these people to see what their faith and their, their, what their walk is like. And um, I think we as Americans need to hear this. And I just thought this was a really good thing to hear, to read this morning. So just indulge me as I go ahead and read it. He says, I've already confessed that I began my life work naively believing that God was sending Ruth and me around the world on a great adventure to tell lost people about Jesus and to teach them how the Bible applied to their lives. I now realize that God allowed me to go out into the world so that I could find out who Jesus really was and how the Bible is to be applied to my life. He wanted me to learn that lesson from people who knew him far better than I did people who were already living out his teaching on a daily basis. Many of the people who I've encountered on this journey have not only become my personal mentors and friends in faith, they have also become spiritual heroes whose life examples humble and inspire me. No other part of Christ's body in any other country has humbled, inspired, and taught me more than the house church believers I met in China. The rural house church movement was so sheltered and so isolated that some of their leaders asked me whether or not word of Jesus had gotten beyond China yet. They wondered if people in other countries knew and worshipped him. I informed the Chinese believers, believers that they, are, they had hundreds of millions of fellow believers around the world. I told them that there were believers in almost every country on earth. When they heard that, they broke into applause and they shouted in praise. Then they asked about my country. 
I told them that in the United States there were tens of millions of committed Christians who gathered to worship in tens of thousands of congregations, large and small, in every city, town, and village across our land. Hearing that, the church leaders actually cheered and they wept with joy and celebration of the grace that God had bestowed on their American brothers and sisters. Then they excitedly peppered me with other questions. How did people learn about Jesus in my country? Did we have Bibles in America? What was worship like? Where did the pastors get their training? The questions seemed endless. I attempted to describe for them the practice of Christianity in the culture of my homeland, and they marveled at what I was telling them for a while. Then the celebratory mood slowly, subtly started to shift. I noticed first one person who was very quiet and then began to cry. These were not joyful tears. He seemed sad and even anguished, and then others reacted in the same way. I feared that I had said something that was culturally offensive. I asked what was wrong. A visibly distressed Chinese pastor explained, we are just wondering, why is it that God loves you believers in America so much that he blesses you more than he does us? Why would God do so many amazing things for you? I was stunned, distraught, and horrified at the question. I immediately reminded my new friends of the many miraculous stories that Chinese believers had shared with me of God's grace in their lives. They had already told me about his loving provision of strength and courage in prison. They had talked about his repeated protection from authorities. They had shared many inspiring stories of answered prayers. There was also the supernatural way that God had led them through dreams and visions. I cited the historically unprecedented explosion of faith through the house church movement that had brought at least 1 million, 100 million Chinese to Christ despite 50 years of oppression under communism. I reminded them, too, of the incredible stories of healing that I had heard from them. I told them how much I wished that I was able to see someone raised from the dead. I, insist, I insisted to my new Chinese friends that all these things were undeniable and miraculous proof of God's presence and power. I said that these things were incontrovertible evidence of his amazing grace and his abundant love for China and its people. My friends heard my words and my explanation, and then they became my teacher. This is what they said. You see how we are meeting with you here in secret, Dr. Ripken? We have told you how our house churches move from farm to farm, from house to house, often at night. Yet you tell us your pastors can preach the gospel publicly in your country and that, they, and that believers in America are free to worship wherever and whenever they want. You have watched our leaders rip apart a Bible and divide up the pages so that every house church pastor can take home at least a portion of scripture to share with his people. Yet you tell us that you personally have seven different versions of the Bible on a shelf in your office, and that you also own many Christian books and regularly read Christian magazines and, and newspapers. None of us has ever owned our own hymn book or chorus book to sing from. Yet you tell us that your churches have hymn books for everyone, that you can purchase them in bookstores or order them by the case from publishers, and you tell us that Christian music is on many radio and television stations. You have described how everyone in your country, even those who are not believers, celebrate the birth of Jesus with a national holiday, and you tell us that some churches actually reenact the nativity scene to attract and entertain the public. We have explained how so many of our leaders have been arrested that prison has become the place where our pastors gain their most important theological education. 
But you tell us that in America, you have special training schools for just, uh, for just the Christian students. Yes, you have heard us all tell about praying for sick people and how many of them have been miraculously healed, yet maybe even one in a thousand of those who are healed will give any credit to God or will ever find Jesus as a result. However, you tell us that believers in your country can actually choose to go to Christian doctors and even Christian hospitals if they wish. So tell us, Dr. Ripken, which of these things do you think are the greatest miracles? When they asked me that question, it was my turn to weep. In that moment, I began to realize how much I take for granted. I suddenly saw all the things that I've allowed to become common, things that would be considered miracles in the eyes of millions of believers in persecution. The truth is, these things that we take for granted are all miracles. Chinese house church believers taught me that. Their remedial lessons gave me new eyes to see and appreciate the miraculous power of God still present and at work in our world today. Sort of sobering thoughts, but I know um, we're, there's a lot of movement out there for the unchurched, unchurched, those believers that have no access to the gospel. Absolutely none. Um, and there's a lot, I think they said there's just like 2.8 million, a billion people that do not know, do not have access to Jesus, and we just take it so for granted, his goodness to us. Um, so what should be our response? What's your response to all of this that we've been looking at today? Um, and I put three things down there. It says there, the first thing we should do is we should, we should repent. We should realize that the great goodness that we have all around us, repent of our ingratitude and our unbelief. It says there in James 1, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every blessing, everything that is good is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change. It also says in Romans 2.4, God's kindness leads you to repentance. His goodness leads us to repentance. So repent. Instead of all of our whining and our complainings, we need to turn to God and thank Him in all of our circumstances, in the good and in the bad. The second thing, we need to rest. Rest in his goodness and in, his, in our great good God, because he knows best. In our pain and in our loss, rest in his presence. His greatest blessing is he, God himself. And the third thing you do, that I've touched on a couple times today, is risk. Um, to step out like never before, trusting in his goodness. Don't try to hold on so much to our lives, but be more willing to risk and step out. I just, yeah, go ahead, Cheryl. We're going to um, close today with another song. Song you've heard a lot. It's just, it's not going to be another video. It's just a song that you can sing along with. I've got your words there. Um, just to celebrate God's goodness.
minute and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I just thank you. I thank you. I praise your name for how good, good God you are. How much you pour down your goodness upon us every single moment, every breath that we take. You are pouring down your goodness to us. I just praise you for that. I pray for those that are out here right now, those of my sisters that are struggling with really, really hard things. I pray you draw close to them and you give them your comfort and your presence. May they see you in ways that they have never seen you before and, and just give glory to you through this hard, hard time they are having. I pray, Lord, now that you keep us safe, draw us all close to you, and may we um, just never stop giving praise and glory to your name. And it's in that name, the name of Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Two weeks, we've got the brunch. So remember that. <laughs>